Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Beauty means different things to different people. Inner and outer beauty is sometimes not seen as equally important, for example, and what qualifies as beautiful perhaps really is the eye of the beholder. My guest today is one of my favourite makeup artists, someone who I've worked with for the past five years or so. She's definitely my first go-to for my own professional shoots and she's worked with many famous faces and household name brands. Hallie Dutton's a makeup artist and a hairstylist with almost 10 years' experience in corporate advertising and fashion across all forms of media. Hallie has led large teams such as the creative director for both Rimmel London and CoverGirl in Australia and New Zealand for events such as Australian Fashion Week, Splendour at the Grass and the Falls Festival, just to name a few. Her days are spent creating beautiful, bold and natural looks on shoots, presenting makeup masterclasses, educating techniques, trends, tips, as well as new products launching for her favourite brands. She also runs her very own beauty masterclass where she teaches women how to create easy everyday makeup for any occasion. She's on Instagram and it's always awesome. It makes me feel very, very frumpy when I look at it. So fittingly, I want to welcome Hayley Dutton to the Politics of Beauty. Hello. 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 I feel like we should have some visuals on this because oh um, your Instagram is incredible. And if I rolled out of bed every day looking like that, that would be great. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Seriously, like I would love to have a visual right now of what I look like. Um, <laughs> it's quite horrendous. So, you know, it's a bit of smoke and mirrors on the old Instagram. Um, but, yeah, thank you. No, I do, um, I do put some work in my Instagram and I love to sort of showcase lots of different looks and try and, um, you know, represent visually what I'm up to on a daily basis and now trying to sort of show what things inspire me because you know with the work I do you are inspired by so many different things so thank you appreciate that excellent but you weren't always a makeup artist were you you had a different career so tell us a little bit about that my life actually started off in um, stockbroking and then in finance at Macquarie Bank. So, yeah, I worked in marketing at Macquarie Bank and it was a, an amazing company to work for, except for when I was sitting in the meetings changing people's face shapes. You know, like I've got these amazing, incredible, you know, investment teams talking about long, short, short equitized investments. And I was sitting there going, hmm, now what are we going to do with those brows? How am I going to change that face shape? Now, what color would go with that out? fit so from there I kind of was like okay I I really need to be doing something creative I'm sort of in the wrong place (laughs) (laughs) yeah right you reckon I know I did a business degree and I worked with Macquarie for a long time I traveled over to London and they saved my job for me and I came back and then yeah that's when I realized I needed to be you know doing something a little bit more creative And so as a child, did you have sort of a creative kind of outlet? Were you into things like art and craft? Were you a painter? Like is there any link to your early childhood to what you do today? Yeah, it's funny, you know, because I didn't really get into art. I didn't love it. But what I did, what I was obsessed with is I would always have my magazines 
and I would create like mood boards. So whether it was around colour or a look, so I didn't actually connect sort of, you know, makeup artistry to that, but that was obviously the beginning of me sort of mapping out that sort of creative side. And I guess that's how I sort of attack every job I go on. You know, it's kind of like a mood board, there's reference imagery, then you kind of put together these beautiful looks. So that's sort of what I was doing, I guess, as a, you know, a single child with no brothers or sisters, I would sit there and like rip up magazines and put together mood boards. So I guess that's kind of where it started. So you're obviously a visual thinker. I guess that that leaving of a corporate career where you probably had a degree of success and you obviously had studied for it. I mean, how did you actually do that? Did you have, did you study makeup artistry at night? Like, was there a transition period or was it like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And then you sort of had to find your niche. Yeah, good question. I actually went from finance into advertising. So I kind of took that step through advertising and in advertising, I had a lot of clients that I managed who were in more creative um, industry. So, so for example, we worked with Universal Music and people like that. So we were doing a lot of campaigns around artists and there were a lot of shoots that we had to manage. And one day we were down at Cornell actually shooting this amazing album cover and it was with Vanessa Amorossi. And my sort of role would normally, I was a senior account manager, so I would kind of, you know, I'd be like the spreadsheet woman, getting everyone together, managing internals and externals. And we got on to the location and we had a massive Winnebago where the hair and makeup artist was with Vanessa. Anyway, I walked into the Winnebago and, you know, there she was, you know, doing a hair and makeup and I was like, this is what I need to be doing. And literally the next day I had booked myself into a Napoleon course and I did like, I think it was like a, I don't know, it might have been a nine-week course and you did like a Saturday and a Sunday every week. And, yeah, I was just like, this is what I need to be doing. And I did that and then I loved it. And then I ended up doing a year, you know, certificate for a makeup, so full-time like Cameron Jane where, you know, we kind of lived and breathed makeup. We did everything from, you know, period makeup to TV, film, you know, everything that you had to learn with hair and makeup we did there for the year. So that's kind of how it how it all sort of, you know, planned out I guess and and where was your first job in makeup like where did you get your first gigs was it kind of just an individual who who kind of said hey or did you get to work on a set like what was that first gig like Well, we did a lot of work experience. So as with most, you know, I think sort of jobs you go into or certainly with apprenticeships, you know, you do have to do a lot of work experience. So I think... Slave labour, I call that, but that's okay. You you got it. I know, right, right. So we was actually quite lucky at Cameron Jane because we had a lot of different industries who would come in and say, right, we've got a big production on. We need, you know, 10, as you said, little slaves or minions to come in and help us out. So I had done a lot of work experience and I actually did do a lot of weddings. So gosh, that is such a great, I can't even remember what my first big job was. Oh, you know what? It might've been on the Great Gatsby. Oh, that's not bad. So I think, well, I think it was because that was through Cameron Jane, but that was sort of at the end of my work experience. So a whole bunch of girls and guys from the school that I was at, we went to the Great Gatsby and that was just incredible. So we worked on there helping, you know, the hair and makeup teams and, you know, we'd have to go in on set and we did the massive big party scenes uh, for the Great Gatsby at, at Moore Park. I was out at Fox Studios and there was sort of, 
you know, these massive areas, like even just the whole kitchen there was incredible just to feed all of the staff that were on there. And there was these massive big like corridors of rooms like filled with Prada and Yves Saint Laurent, like all of the the clothing and the shoes. And then you'd get onto set and, you know, there was Leonardo DiCaprio and, oh, it was just, it was out of this world. I'm so glad you asked me that question, Anne, because it really, that just really took me down memory lane and I'm feeling all nostalgic now. I'm like, that's really incredible. Oh, happy to help you with that. And that was a great story. It wasn't sort of something dull and uh, insignificant. Most of us would have watched that film and gone, look at the hair and makeup, look at the clothes. I mean, it was one of the things that made the film, I think, as much as the script and the actors and the famous faces. It was all that other stuff which really brought it all together. Yeah, absolutely. It it is amazing how, you know, all those different teams come together and, you know, bring these kind of stories to life. I have touched on your social media and it is always fantastic to see the different looks and some of them are not things we might wear to the supermarket, obviously, you know, electric blue eyes and um, lots of glitter and... But the idea that social media makes it easy to see beauty in all its facets can also, obviously, as we touched on, be smoke and mirrors. And natural beauty is great, but obviously you're in the world where looking glam and having your hair and makeup done is not something all of us can do or afford to do every day. I mean, are there pros and cons to the way in which we perceive beauty through social media? Absolutely, yeah. And as you said, I kind of touched on that, you know, within the first sort of 30 seconds of us talking and, you know, social media is a bit of a beast and it can be a great thing, but it also can be a very negative thing. You know, as you said, I am in the in the industry of, you know, making people look beautiful, but, you know, I think... <sighs> it's really about how you feel, you know what I mean? And, and if you feel amazing with a, you know, a tinted moisturiser and running a brush through your hair and off you go, then, you know, bloody fantastic, you know, whatever works. But, yeah, social media is a funny thing, you know, everything looks wonderful and, you know, that sort of goes beyond beauty as well, doesn't it? I mean, everyone's got a fabulous... Absolutely. Everything's filtered. Everything has a lens. Even people's holiday photos, they, you know, they make you think that they're doing these amazing things all the time when most of the time 99% of life is pretty ordinary. Oh, and, like, how about the family holiday? I mean, your boys are amazing, but, I mean, seriously, come on a family holiday with me. It ain't, yeah, the rose-coloured glasses come off. It's pretty much, you know, it's it's crazy town. Like, I've got girls that are whinging and I've got, you know, four big personalities in my family and someone wants to do this and the other ones are, seriously, it's like a race just to get to the end of the night of the holiday and, you know, have 400 cocktails and go to bed. So, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. Social media, you know, I love using social media to sort of, as I said, represent things that, um, you know, inspire me and looks that I love. But, yeah, I guess the other side of social media is we, we're not always seeing kind of the everyday, you know, what's happening at home situation. Absolutely. Um, Confidence in something you've mentioned as part of your gig is key for many people to succeed in all areas of life. And confidence obviously can come from various sources. It can be, you know, exercising to feel great, to look good. Obviously, the visuals of what you do um, mean that people do look their best and, and you do make people look phenomenal and help them build that confidence, particularly if they're going to do something really big like speak at an event or go to mm-hmm. a wedding or be part of, a, you know, something where they feel like they're going to get their photos done professionally and that includes hair and makeup, always does and always has. Why is confidence something you're really passionate about? Actually, confidence just sort of comes up in everything I talk about really because I guess 
that's sort of where, you know, my passion for what I do comes from. And it, it, it even goes back all the way through to, you know, when I was younger, I had really, really bad skin. And I remember, you know, all of my girlfriends were always beautiful. They're always, you know, these bronzed goddesses. And here I was with the pale skin and, you know, the pimples. And when I discovered, I think it was like a pimple cream or something, and I noticed that it kind of gave a coverage to my skin. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And that's when I sort of started to play with makeup and when I was able to transform myself from you know the 13 14 however old I was 14 year old geeky looking oh those awkward years yeah right right when I was able to see the transformation it it sort of came with a power and and that power is confidence and that also goes through to you know my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 24 um, and she was only 40 and you know she recalls one of the most powerful parts of her kind of journey of breast cancer was her experience with look good feel better and oh they're a know, great organization they oh, do so much amazing work just amazing and you know I didn't know anything about that being that at that age I was still in finance at the time and you know I remember her explaining to me oh you know just just how I feel when I walk out of there Haley. it was just amazing and you know as soon as I you know not long after I finished my course as we we're talking about with going into the Great Gatsby as soon as I was um, you know certified the first thing I did was go to look good feel better because I wanted to be a part of that if I could be a part of a woman's journey where for that one hour you know they are able to you know lean into that power and you know for a minute not feel like you know that woman who's feeling frail and sick and you know pasty and gray and just feeling you know crap to feeling vibrant and a bit of life and it's just incredible when you go into these sessions these women walk in and it's bloody it's 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 hard you know to kind of get used to seeing them and you know you feel really emotional when you spend time with these people and 40 minutes into the class they've all got smiles on their faces they've got a bit of blush on a bit of lippy and they walk out like completely different people so again that whole confidence kind of story I guess has sort of come from those places for me and then as I've moved through and you know worked with a lot of women in business you know being in business myself prior to this and and now you know just makeup is it's it's superficial right but when you look past that and when you're able to give someone a tool you know as as materialistic as it may be makeup doesn't really matter does it you know when you're able to make someone feel amazing and make them feel confident make them feel like they can take on the world and you know walk into a room and and hold themselves that's a really beautiful superpower and you know that's that's what i love sharing with people every day as often as i can Love it. So makeup is more than smoke and mirrors. And do you find, however, that obviously we're working at home more in the past 12 months have been unprecedented for many people. And and so how we present perhaps in an office environment or going into a studio isn't quite the same as it was. Are there any sort of tips and advice you have in terms of how we can still, you know, look good, feel good on our Zoom calls, but obviously we don't necessarily need to have a full power leap and, and and lots of makeup and a hair done every day to really kind of put our message out there. Is there is there a difference to where we were twelve months ago, or do you think it's it's all just about where you're at and and what you're doing that day? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and just on the topic of how things have changed, goodness me, like look, twelve months over the past twelve months has it not just been 
absolutely crazy. Like it is, we, it's the whole world has shifted. But I mean, who would have thought we'd be sitting on Zoom, you know, video calls for three quarters of the day? So I guess because of COVID, there has been that change. And you know, people, some people like to, you know, dole themselves up before they go to work, and some people like us are trying to hustle. You know, children, husband, get out the door, maintain a job, go to meetings, do presentations, come home and be a, you know, a domestic goddess. And, you know, you're trying to do it all. So really, like, who the hell has got time to be spending 10, 15, 20 minutes on their makeup every day? I mean, like, come on. So, you know, there are small things you can do. And again, it just comes back to you as a person and what you feel comfortable with. Again, if you feel comfortable rocking up to work with a, you know, a top knot and get shit done kind of attitude, then you go, girl. But there are some small things you can do. Like, in a- I'm sure that's for the college and blessed 25-year-old. I'm not sure it's happening at my age, but yes. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So, I mean, you know, even just like for the Zoom calls, it's a simple, whether you like a, a BB cream or a, um, a light foundation, a little bit of mascara and a bit of lip gloss, you know what I mean? Just those small things, you know, that you can do. I mean, then there's people who like to go that next step and they like to do you know, like a full foundation and then they might do like a little bit of a contour, you know, so just adding a bit of colour underneath the cheekbones just to give you that kind of little bit of a chiseled look. And again, you know, with your lipstick, you just pop a little bit of your lipstick on your lips and then smudge a bit of that onto your cheeks. So it can be as simple or as difficult, you know, as you want it to be. And it's, you know, how you like feeling. Of course. And I guess it depends is on the other end of that Zoom call as well. If it's a big potential multi-million dollar client, I don't. Probably (laughs) the the three-day-old hair and, um, you know. The dry shampoo. It's probably not going to cut it. Not going to roll. Yeah, right. I know. And and this is obviously with this podcast, I have both male and female listeners. I mean, with blokes, is there any, I mean, I know when I worked in TV, we used to put a bit of powder on the blokes, a bit of foundation. Um, particularly if they have shiny shiny spots you on their head. It. I mean you got it. Do you think people should be kind of thinking about that still and from a from a male perspective, or do you think we're just kind of a bit more accepting and we're a bit harder on us ladies? Oh, oh that's a, a really interesting question and, and definitely topical at the moment, especially as we have people talking more around men and people's preferences and, you know, sexual preferences and how they present as a person, you know, like, you know, I do a lot of work as well with um, men who are transitioning through Dress for Success. And, you know, those men who are, you know, moving through that kind of journey are also needing to know, you know, how do I apply makeup, you know, having been a man all of their life and had no idea, you know, whether they were someone who were in TV and probably haven't paid any attention to the stuff that we had. We grew up with Dolly Magazine and, um, you know, all that stuff where they give you some tips and I still remember those step-by-step photos for the smoky eye and I could still never master it, by the way. Oh, absolutely. So it, it, it's, you know, it's a different world we live in. And, you know, there are a lot of um, younger guy, corporate younger guys who actually do like to wear a little bit of concealer under their eyes and, you know, you know, fully into doing their hair. So again, it's just sources for courses, I guess. You've mentioned some of the charity work that you have done. Obviously, it matters to you. And it's an important part of your personal brand and what you do for a living. How do you think the world of beauty, which can seem very superficial and I guess something of the lifestyles of the rich and famous and not-for-profit work really relate to each other? How can it sort of complement each other? And and you've given us some great examples with Dress for Success, for example. Is there any other ways that you think that actually what you're doing is actually complementary to the not-for-profit space? 
Yeah, well, you know, I guess that depends on the organisation. Like, you know, as you said, I have mentioned Dress for Success, which is a massive one because obviously, you know, what we're trying to teach here is for men and women who are going in to get that first interview, you know, how to present their best self. But there's also other organisations like a government sort of group called Starts. And basically what they do is they help refugees and people from other countries who are coming over here, especially women, victims of trauma. So I guess how does beauty come into that? Well, for them and for me, it's about giving those young women the confidence, you know, after they've been through, gosh, the most dire situations and, you know, things that we living in this country we are so lucky that we're not exposed to you know people coming from Afghanistan and Syria and so many um, countries where they've just gone through the most horrific of ordeals and when they come over here how does beauty fit into that well it's about giving them an hour or two hours of playing with makeup and showing how that can give you that kind of feel-good factor. So, you know, it really depends on the group, but I definitely think, you know, definitely beauty and non-for-profit, you know, there's a big there's a big kind of relationship there and, you know, I'd, I'd say to all the other makeup artists, you know, find where you can, you know, help other people. And, you know, we're not psychologists. I mean, in a way we are psychologists, I get, when you sit down and you've got you're touching someone... <laughs> Oh, I think I've told my, 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 definitely told my hairdresser things that perhaps even my family didn't know. So there you go. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that, yeah, just some advice. If there are any makeup artists out there listening, you know, you may not think that, you know, you're not a psychologist or there might not be ways that you can help, but you can always find somewhere where you can help. And, and, you, you know, definitely confidence building is a massive thing. And I mean, who doesn't, who does, who doesn't want to feel confident? Absolutely, of course. So a bit more on you now. So if there was a book or film that you always return to or comes to mind on a regular basis, what would it be and why? That's a great question. And, you know, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, so I'm actually going to be really honest and say I have only just picked up a book in the last, like, however many years. Finally, I'm getting my girls to sleep of an evening and I can actually go into my bed. Excellent. So funny you should ask that. But when I was 18, 19, I picked up the book, The Celestine Prophecy. I don't know if you've read that one. I remember that book. I don't actually recall reading it, but I know it was very big at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, funnily enough, my brother, he's actually going to do um, a PhD in philosophy, God love him. He and his partner gave me the book. They didn't realise that I loved it. It was my favourite book when I was 19. But at Christmas time, I opened up my Christmas present and there was a Celestine prophecy. So I've literally just read probably the first five pages. So that was a book that I always came back to. And, you know, my my memory on it is quite shady but I think I remember loving it because it was all about you know the way that we've been conditioned through history you know whether it being religion or politics or whatever it was but then the ideas that things happen for a reason so a little bit intriguing and I can't remember the exact you know story of it all but it is a book that I read back then which I was obsessed with and then with all the baby brand I've completely forgotten so I'm just embarking back on that journey now 
Well, it's good to revisit. I, I think rereading books many years later was actually a good thing because you yeah, see it with a different right. lens as well because Absolutely. you've got different experiences. The 18-year-old you and you now would be very different yeah. in how you'd interpret it perhaps or maybe not. Maybe Who knows? Maybe. I'll let you know. Give me, give me another month. <laughs> another month of five minutes of reading after I get my children to bed and, you know, the deal. I, I think I only get through about 10 pages a night before bed. My children are a lot yeah, older, so there you go. I'd like to say it gets easier, but yeah, it depends. Depends what time you go to bed, too. I'm an I'm an early. Are you, what time do you go to bed? I go to bed quite early. Early, like you know, between nine and ten, depending what's happening. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Try to, but then I'm up early, so I think it all depends on your rhythms. But that book does does make me think I should have a look at it as well. It sounds like it's got some good things in there. I reckon you should re- let's revisit it. Hey, let's ca- let's talk in a month. Let's do this. And we'll see where we're at. We can compare yeah. pair notes and start a totally. book club online. <laughs> could be a life-changing experience. It could be. So our final takeaway, what would you say is your one big thing or your overarching philosophy for the politics of beauty that you'd like to leave today with everyone listening? You know, I just think beauty is something different to everybody you know it's so subjective and I just think whatever makes you feel amazing you do I mean don't follow trends never follow trends you know follow what makes you feel great and the other thing is as well always find a way to help somebody else you know it's so important you know the smallest of things that you can do can completely change someone else's path if not day, you know, complete path. So that's one thing that I sort of try and think about with the work that I'm doing is sort of like, okay, how how can I help someone today? How am I going to make someone else feel amazing? So, yeah, when it comes to, you know, making yourself feel amazing and, you know, how can you make other people feel amazing? That's a fantastic way to wrap up. If you do want to connect with Hayley, I will have some details of how to connect with her and her amazing Instagram on my show notes. You have been listening to The Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes. Until next time, be well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.